All right, Tim, here we are at the end of season one. We uh, launched this crazy idea several months ago, and we've now interviewed seven guests. This is uh, episode eight, uh, a wrap-up episode to kind of summarize what we did in the first seven episodes. Yeah, I I was not 100% sure that we would actually do this. I figured, I thought there was a chance that we would interview one person and then just get busy and never come back to it. Throw it in garbage and yeah. be done. But it's been super, it's been really fun. I've enjoyed every single one of these. Yeah, we've had a lot of interesting guests. Uh, I think a pretty good variety of trial lawyers. Uh, season one was all trial lawyers. We're going to branch out a little bit in season two. But um, we've met a lot of interesting people along the way as we set out to do. And uh, some of those that we uh, interviewed, we're going to talk about and summarize today as our eighth episode. Uh, I think the first person to talk about maybe is Dean Strang. He was one of our early guests and really an interesting guy. Yeah, the um, certainly the most, probably the most well-known lawyer or in, in Wisconsin, or one of the most well-known lawyers in Wisconsin, because so much of what he defined, his later part of his career was the whole making a murder or Steve Avery thing. Sure. Um, but we didn't really talk a whole lot about that. We, I mean, you can't not talk about it. So we dived into that a little bit. But he's had it was all kinds of interesting stuff about him. Started out, he wanted to be a political cartoonist. That really stuck out to me. I mean, I've I've always been interested in political cartoons. I think political cartoonists combine interesting sides of the brain uh, in a really clever way. And and so I've always been fascinated by political cartoonists. So when I found out that Dean Strang was a political cartoonist or really, well, not, not just wanted to be, he was, he yeah. started out, he had a job, he was being paid to draw political cartoons. And uh, like a lot we of lawyers, have made him draw us. we should have had him, have him draw something. Would it translate well into the podcast? I think, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's an interesting uh, uh, background. And like I, like I think I've said before, um, it is interesting how many lawyers you meet, um, there's certainly a, a, a big chunk of lawyers want to be lawyers from day one of their lives, but a lot of lawyers really come at it from a different angle and, and really never in a million years think they're going to be a lawyer yeah. and then end up a lawyer. And he's one of those that really found himself there in a sort of a backdoor way. And I mean, wrote two books, um, you know, basically about the law, but about incidents that happened locally in Milwaukee and then, you know, Dives into the, all that all that historical research and kind of amazing when you think about how much time something like that takes that he could have the kind of practice he has, which is pretty damn busy criminal defense practice, running his own firm with multiple lawyers, and then just, you know, what the hell, write a book. Yeah, really a fascinating guy, no doubt about it. Yeah, he was cool. Uh, we also talked to our partner, Jessica. Jessica Peterson was on the show, which was interesting. That's the uh, well. I guess we had two people who we work with fairly regularly. We also had John Bush on the podcast. Jessica uh, has also had a pretty fascinating career. I think she's come from the other side, wanted to be a lawyer probably for a little longer, wanted to sort of um, right thing, right wrongs in the world. Yeah, um, and talk quite idealist. a bit. Talk quite a bit in about a way. how difficult it can be to be a mom, um, but and, and be a lawyer, but. You certainly, we did talk a bit with her about how reasoning with a two-year-old uh, can often <laughs> be um, the best education to understand how to deal with opposing counsel. And she's dealing with opposing counsels in certain cases that are just like dealing with two-year-olds. Yeah, a lot of tantrums. Well, that was a good one, too, because part of the goal of the podcast is, you know, give some takeaways for non-lawyers, too, right? And I think hers was a good interview for sort of work-life balance generally and you know, there's some strategies and things like that, some some actionable items. I think you could probably glean from that episode about 
like you said, dealing with a two-year-old um, and how that could translate into other areas of your life. In her yeah. case, as a lawyer, but um, you know, lots of different avenues you can go down. Yeah, kind of on that um, score, Nate Kate had a few of those kind of work-life balance discussions too. Nate is a guy that you know we both worked with at Michael Best, but hadn't really had a t- had time to sit down and just talk for a solid hour like we did during the podcast. Uh, it was good to reconnect with Nate. Um, I was interested that he really has found that remote working during the pandemic is something that's going to stick forever for him. Yeah. Um, he, he's, he's one of those guys that was a pretty, pretty, uh, suit and tie type in the oh, office yeah. every day kind of guy. He was a full on white shoe, silk stocking, you know, suit and tie every day, you know, at the office super early. And he's, that guy's pivoted harder into, um, more casual work environment and remote working than anybody I, I think I could have imagined. Yeah, and he wasn't a he wasn't a suit and guy a suit and tie guy because he had to be in because he was at large. Oh, office. He, he loved it. Yeah, he loved he, it. He, he did. He did. But that's that's the new world. I mean that that's the new lawyer the new world of lawyers and but it's the new world I think of uh, working professionals all over the place. Um, Nate found that. Uh, it is much more efficient for him to run his uh, practice out of you know out of his home office, yeah. and that's what a lot of people are finding. Uh, you and I have talked a lot about that. We have our own uh, lease and monthly rent and big nut we have to cover every month, and we're yeah. we're sitting here wondering uh, what is gonna what is gonna happen even with a law firm of twenty five people like we have. Are they gonna all want to come into to an office, or are they gonna want to pivot and do it differently? Yeah, no, it's an interesting way to approach it. I mean, and Nate has you know other lawyers working for him all virtual or remote or whatever the you know current definition the right way to think about it is yeah i mean it's definitely we're on a different scale um but we're going to deal with the same stuff we're already dealing with a little bit i still am a traditional office guy i like a lot of things that go on in an office that i don't think you can get while you're at a home office but um certainly the world has already changed i think it was going there anyway but the pandemic like a lot of things accelerated it by 20 years yeah no big time big time well, so we talked. We talked to John Bush. He was the other guy who uh, we've had a long association with, and who is with our firm. Um, he was sort of your mentor at Michael Best, yeah. and, and has been with us for now six or seven years. Um, he's a fascinating guy, of course, because he's got an entire career of stories to tell. But he's also one of the better storytellers you'll ever come across. Uh, of course, the one that sticks out is the. The story that sticks out is how he um, played the ABA to uh, <laughs> uh, get value out of their old logos and basically put his kids through college. He's yeah, he's unbelievable. He's he's one of my favorite people in the world, and I think you know the storytelling part of it, which he is a master at. I mean, that's a big part of trial work. You know, telling that people understand the world through stories and narratives, and that's why you know why we see movies and read fiction books and all that other kind of stuff and. Um, I think if you can tell a good story, you're going to have pretty good success in a lot of areas of your life. Yeah, and he's kind of the youngest lawyer. He just turned 70, but he's the youngest generation, I think, that really saw the other, the old world almost mm-hmm. of trial lawyers, right? He saw the smoking in courtrooms yeah. and all that sort of thing. We're, Judges bumming cigarettes off trial lawyers. Right. You, you and I, uh, having just turned 50, we're, we're too young to have seen any of that. Um but, but John Bush is sort of the, the like, as I said, the last generation, the youngest version of mm-hmm. guys who saw that old world courtroom scene. Yeah, for sure. And really, not just not just smoking in courtrooms, which is kind of a, <laughs> a funny point, but but uh, but so many trials, right? Guys who saw yeah. two hundred trials in their careers were versus 
our generation that, that that's a that's a unicorn yeah for sure of any kind of real you know complexity or anything like that for sure yeah speaking of old guys yeah i was gonna say it leads nicely into bill levitt <laughs> yeah we talked to bill levitt bill levitt is fascinating human being yeah to me he might be one of the one of the top two or three most fascinating guys i've ever talked to because he really not only I, I, I think that guys who are in Milwaukee who came from well, like you, I mean, you, you grew up in San Francisco, so you had a different history than 90 percent of the people you run into in Milwaukee uh, are Wisconsinites on some level. You know, even I am not from Milwaukee, but from Door County, am a Wisconsinite. Uh, Bill is one of those guys. He's, he had no connection until he was dragged back here by a wife. Yeah. And um, uh, fascinating background, you know, Yale, Harvard, uh, White Shoe, Wall Street law firms. He really is. He's old enough. Uh, 312, yeah, I think. 312 years old. Um, that to me, the most fascinating part, because I've always been interested in the history of New York. Um, he really bridges that gap and goes all the way back to the '60s and the Mad Men area. Yeah, I was gonna say he 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 like he can tell you the real stories about the Mad Men era, and th- that's the, the the best part about Bill. His memory is insane. Yeah, he his, remembers everything, yeah, and he's not making it up because I've heard these stories a number of times now. They're amazingly consistent, right? And the, and the facility for names. I mean, he yeah. remembers every name of any every person he's ever. On the cases he worked on, you know, unbelievable details about, you know, a particular brief in a particular case from like 1974. Yeah. What the yeah, he's almost sheepish about believing that his stories must be boring and that nobody wants to listen yeah. to him. But for me, he's he I could listen to all day because it's it's such a window into a different era. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, an interesting byproduct of what we've done on the podcast, I'm really happy that we recorded some of that stuff, you know, that, yeah. that we put down in a digital format, some of those stories and some of those memories. Cause you know, where's it going to go? I mean, you and I talk about this from time to time. Like, should we have deposed our dads, you yeah. know, and gotten like, you know, videotaped deposition and get their stories down. Right. Otherwise um, it's just written on the wind and it's gone forever. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of cool that, you know, some of those old school stories of bills are, you know, preserved for, Whoever out there wants to listen to him, which yeah. I recommend you do. Yeah, and the way he does it, you know, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the Gilded Age, which is part of the reason I'm interested in New York City. And every once in a while, you'll get a high, high, high resolution black and white photograph from 1888 or something like that. And good, good, well done black and white photographs, which were taken pretty voluminously in, in New York City and the during the Gilded Age, do exist. Um, and I'm fascinated because the detail is so incredible. And that's sort of the thing that I see with Bill, right? Mm. It's not just that he's a window into 1960 New York, but it's the detail of yeah. the window into New York, uh, 1965. That's so incredible. He's a high res dude. Yeah, he is. Who else have we talked to? That's Scott Hansen, no relation to me from Reinhardt. Right. Scott's been a good friend of ours for a long time. He's also in that John Bush, uh, age range era as a guy who tried a lot of cases and has been pretty much one of the top trial lawyers at Reinhardt here in, in Milwaukee for a long time. Um, you know, he told a lot of interesting stories that, that episode, I don't know how much we're going to end up airing, but boy, we talked to Scott for a long yeah, time about every, every manner of thing. And of course the story that sticks out is his whole butcher of Balkans story, yeah. which is interesting to me because he, it's the one sort of that got away yeah. because he didn't actually end up representing the guy. But his opportunity to represent the butcher, butcher of the Balkans was such a um, 
such an interesting part of his career. Yeah. Well, and Scott's another one of these guys who, I mean, that, he is a true believer. He is a law nerd. Yeah. I think he would admit it. I mean, he he just loves being a lawyer. Right. And didn't he was one of those, and we talked about how these you know lawyers kind of fall into two camps. It's either, you know, you came out of the womb ready to be a lawyer, or you were, a, you know, looking in a complete different area, and then some switch goes on, you became a lawyer, and next thing you know, here, here you are. Um, and then he was sort of the second camp, right? He was like a math guy and a logic guy, and right. then kind of fell into litigation. Um, but he just has embraced the whole concept of being a lawyer. I, yeah. I mean, a lot of lawyers are sort of you know, their their defining characteristic of as of being as being a lawyer. Um, and I think Scott embraces that. You know, he he just loves it. It's kind of infectious. Um, it yeah. sort of makes you. When you talk to Scott for a little while, you sort of at least for me, I'm like, oh yeah, I don't. I remember why I kind of wanted to be a lawyer. Went to law school. It's almost energizing to to hear him talk about it because he's so. Um, enthusiastic about about being a law geek. Yeah, he's a pretty prototypical lawyer. There's no doubt about it. He talks and looks the part. And it is interesting because I agree. I think that lawyers usually fall into either the camp, half of them wanted to be a lawyer from day one of their lives, and half of them sort of fell backwards into it. Scott is interesting because you would have thought he would have been a, come out of the womb wanting to be a lawyer type. I know. But he actually kind of came into the practice from uh, through the back door. Yeah. Which well, are, Which are you? Uh, I had no clue what I was doing. Okay. No clue. I mean, I was an undergrad. Oh, I thought you were talking about uh, two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's true, too. I think you finally have realized this is your calling. <laughs> I mean, I should be a lawyer. I'm going to get serious now. Now that you Podcaster. mentioned that. Yeah, maybe now that I've done this podcast, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start really turning my attention to the law. Well, you know, I, I as I thought about it, as we were talking about that, I'm, I guess I'm a little bit unusual because I'm in the middle. Hmm. I, I wasn't to come out of the womb being a lawyer type, and I didn't completely come into it uh, uh, through the back door. I, um, I have a dad who's a lawyer. So usually dad guys who are, have a father as a lawyer usually are the, uh, know they want to be a lawyer from three years old on. Mm-hmm. But I, w- I was, and I, I you know, have never been closer to anybody in my life than my dad. But because of that, I didn't think I'd ever be a lawyer. I just th- sort of thought I'd go my own way. So I guess I'm kind of in the middle where I, I sort of – um, started looking at it more seriously and sort of gradually came into it. It wasn't really a. That's interesting. For me, it was more pragmatic. I'm sitting there, you know, senior in college and, you know, college, all sort of student loan debt. I'm like, well, shit, I got a bachelor's in history. What the hell am I going to do with that? Did you come out of college in a year where everybody was looking to go to grad school because the job market was bad or where a lot of people just getting good jobs right out of college? Uh, you know, it was not bad. Um, so I graduated from undergrad in 99. So, you know, things were still pretty, pretty rocking yeah. at that point. Um, and, uh, but I just realized like, I got to make some money. Yeah. Law was like kind of a good bang for the buck. Um, when you think about years and you know, you can start, start a career and make pretty decent money. And, but then when I, once I got to law school, I was like, Oh shit, this is awesome. I mean, I really, I loved law school. Yeah, I did too. But yeah, it's funny that you say good bang for the buck because now all the stories you read are nobody should (laughs) ever go to law school. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Well, I mean, when I went, I mean, not that long ago, but I mean, in-state tuition at Iowa, which, you know, was next to nothing. But they talk about law school now and, and the ROI being like a, you know, being a PhD in, uh, in metaphysics or something like that. I mean, it's, it's, they talk about it like it's the ROI is not there, which I don't, I still don't know if I agree with. Yeah. Anyway, then we also talked to CJ Krofcheck, which 
um, it kind of uh, as a, a good uh, our discussion there is a good segue of CJ because I think he was pretty much a lawyer out of the womb kind of guy. His dad a, was a lawyer, brother's lawyer, and 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 kind of tying the whole thing together. The thing that you can't help but um, notice with CJ is he is Mr. Milwaukee, oh right? Oh my he, gosh, yeah. He's been here pretty much from day one. Uh, has always loved the city. Has been an advocate for the city, even. You know, I, I always say I, I moved to Milwaukee in the year 2000, and it's all been uh, an upswing since 2000 in the city of Milwaukee. CJ saw both some of the downswing and some of the upswing, but has been a promoter of Milwaukee even through the, the tougher times. So yeah. he's really, he's really a, he's a true believer. Yeah, for sure. And he's super dialed into like all the cultural stuff and food stuff. I mean, I, I went to that, you had recommended to me to go to Calicenza, the Italian restaurant mm-hmm. in Tosa. And I got in there pretty early after it opened, and I texted CJ from there. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm going to finally give him a tip. I'm like, hey, am I, you know, it's only been open a few weeks. I've been, I, you got to check out College Chenzi. He's like, it's the best restaurant in the city. I've already been there five times. Yeah, like, I've been there half a dozen times already. <laughs> like, son of a bitch, this guy's good. Um, yeah, he's got his finger on the pulse, no doubt about that. Well, and he's interesting too, and I think he, his, our relationship with him kind of tells you, gives you a little insight into the civility of the Milwaukee bar typically because he's straight up a, he's the closest thing to a competitor. You're one of the very few competitors as far as, you know, um, civil litigation at a small shop at a high level in Milwaukee. There are not very many litigation boutiques that like we have. Um, but, and we've been opposite on cases with him uh, and his, and Steve Kravitz, his partner, um, we've co-counseled with them on cases. We've, you know, we've had every kind of, you know, um, connection and relationship that law firms can have. And it's always been fantastic. He's a really good guy, a great lawyer. Um, but I think it speaks to the the nature of the collegiality and the civility of most lawyers uh, in Milwaukee. I think there's a few notable handouts, but um, kind of cool that you'd come on the podcast and, you know, shoot the breeze with us and you know, we have a, just a really great working relationship with that with that whole firm yeah he, he's a friend of the program even though some people would think he's a natural enemy right uh sure yeah i don't, I don't think we see it i don't think he or i see it that way no he's he's um like you said uh, there there are only two or three firms or maybe three or four that i can think of that i would say in wisconsin are true uh high-end litigation boutiques and he's at one of them also for sure well, it was a good year. It was yeah. good, a good uh, first season. I, I was glad to do it with you, Tim. I enjoyed doing it with you, and I, I think really it kind of punched all the. Um, yeah, you didn't enjoy it. That's no, okay. Well, I don't care much. about that. I just know that I enjoyed it. <laughs> this was more for my benefit than for yours. It's t- typically, typically, no, it was awesome. Um, it was different than I thought too, because I think we had an idea, um, you know, what this would be. I think we thought, well, it'll be real tight, 20, 30 minutes, you know, digestible, kind of short to the point and uh, really focused on, you know, persuasion or focused on, you know, some kind of specific thing. And it really kind of organically more like right away, like from the very first interview, it went an hour and it was awesome. We were looking for ways to cut it. We think, you know, thinking, is that too long? And I think they all really just carried so well. And uh, we were pleasantly surprised by how interesting everybody was that we talked to. Uh, uh, it turned out way better than I, differently, but also better than I was envisioning when we started to to go down this road. 
Yeah, the stories are what is the common thread that runs mm-hmm. through all these people always. And yeah, persuasion and some other sort of lofty um, principle that we'd like to draw out of it is in there sometimes. And, and we hope people draw some of those kind of lessons and, and ideas out of it. But it really comes down to who can tell uh, a couple interesting stories. And all these people have interesting stories about themselves and their lives and their careers. And um, that goes beyond lawyers. And so in season two, we'll do more of the same, but we'll also do it in some of the other uh, careers and and interesting storytelling professionals that we know out there. Yeah. And so for those folks listening, if anybody's left, um, go to our website, www.hansonreynolds.com. We have a landing page on our website dedicated to the podcast. And you can leave um, suggestions, criticisms, comments, et cetera. You know, feel free to unload on us. But we really would like to get suggestions for uh, other guests. Who do people know that um, you think, oh, man, you know, they should have on is the best trial lawyer in Ohio. You know, whoever that is, that's that's who you guys should talk to. I mean, we'll get them. We'll do our best to get anybody on the show if, if people think they'd be, you know, Good, uh, good guess, and does, does not limited to lawyers. You know, if you got the the best pastry chef in, uh, t- you know, Tuskegee, give us a call. Site, drop us a name and some contact info. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll even offer a prize here in our, our end of our episode. Not off. This was not pre-screened by me. Whoever can, <laughs> uh, whoever writes into our episode and lets us know which of our guests was a notable Ivy League mascot and what mascot that was. We'll take him to dinner. All right. That's a deal. I like that. All right. Hanson Reynolds out. <laughs> <laughs>